This episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Sure Payroll. If you're a small business owner, you know payroll and payroll taxes can be a headache. Sure Payroll has changed that by simplifying payroll services with just three easy steps. It's entirely online. To learn more, visit surepayroll.com/fool and get a free quote. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I am joined by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool, and he is also the advisor on Motley Fool's Rule Your Retirement newsletter. So, as promised, all this month we're tackling ways to be healthier and wealthier in 2017. And so today we're going to look at the science of happiness and offer three things that you can do this year to have more joy and be happier in 2017. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that nice? We'll also answer your questions about investing when you worry the market has peaked. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers Answers! And this week's question comes from Ziv. Ziv writes, I love your show to the point where I think my friends will soon stop inviting me to parties because I always try to get them to start listening. Aww. <laughs> Invite us to the parties then. Yeah, we're free. <laughs> All right. My wife and I are in our early 20s and have a chunk of change sitting from our wedding gifts that we won't be using for at least another three to five years, maybe more. It's sitting in the checking account, which feels like committing financial sin, but we're in the second longest bull run on record. So investing in the stock market seems nuts since I'm fairly certain that there are darker times ahead. Where do I park my money in the meantime? Bond ETFs? The goal is to wait for the next slump and then park it all in index funds for as long as possible, a la Buffett and Bogle's advice. Looking forward to your sage input. Sage, bro. Sage? Well, I don't know about sage, but in the meantime, I'll give you some input. Uh, Ziv, you are right. We are in the middle of the second longest bull market in history, surpassed only by the bull market that started in the late 80s and went up until 2000. And certainly, by any measure, the US stock market is not cheap. The problem is, people were saying that a year ago, and what did we get in 2016? Well, we actually had a pretty good year to be invested. S&P 500 up 12%. The S&P 600 of small cap stocks actually up over 20%. So, even though we were in a long bull market back then and stocks looked pricey, things still went well. I just read a review of various big-name experts and what they expect in 2017. Every single one of them expects the market to go up. Oh. That said, I often cite an article from 2007 in Business Week in which they asked a bunch of experts how they expected the market to do in 2008. They all expected it to go up. What happened? We got the worst stock market since the Great Depression. Point, of course, is, in the short term, we don't know what is going to happen. That said, we have been on a long run. Stock market is not cheap, which makes it a little more risky. If you really do need the money in the next three to five years, I think it does make sense to keep it out of the stock market. Where do you put it? Well, you had suggested bond ETFs. Those are not as volatile as the stock market, but they also have risk. 2013, when interest rates went up, bond market went down about 3%. Over the last three months, the bond market has down, been down about 3% as interest rates have gone up again. So, there is risk. If you're going to go with that, go with a short-term bond ETF, like the Vanguard Short-Term Bond Index Fund, uh, symbol BIV. Its yield is only about 1.5%, and it is down about 1% over the last few months. So, you could do that. It still has risk. Frankly, the safer option is just to go with something like a two-year or three-year CD. There, you could also get about 1.5%. Then, you'll see where rates are. Then, you'll see where the stock market is. Make a decision then as the CD comes due. Now, one thing I will say, whenever someone says, I need the money in the next three to five years, I ask, how important is that need? If it's like your kid is going to college in three years, yes, you play it very safe. 
the way Ziv asked his question, he said three to five years, maybe more. He's going to wait for a slump and then put it in index funds. You may not actually, this isn't a situation where he really needs the money in the next few years. So if you stay on the sidelines for too long, you could have really missed out on some returns by waiting for three, five, seven years for this big correction that may not come. We don't know. So generally, I think you're on the right track, Ziv. You want to play it safer with money you really do need. But if it's possible you won't need this money for five to seven years, I think it's fine to put it in the market and just ride it out. Uh, I was expecting you to say dollar cost averaging. I had that on my bingo card, and you did not say it. <laughs> well, because he's got a lump sum of money. He could do that. Uh, one thing I did think of doing, I was thinking, like, what, what if I were in his situation? And it was something like, I'm going to take my family to China, which is a goal we have, because our youngest daughter is adopted from China. We don't know when we're going to do it hopefully in the next five years or so. But we could adjust it if the market drops. I think I would split it up. I would think boot, I would do like a third in cash, a third in maybe short-term bond fund, and a third in the market, and then adjust accordingly, depending on how things go and as we get closer to that goal. But the bottom line is, no one knows where the top of the market is. No one knows. I wish I could tell you. I really wish I could. Yeah. But I can't, and no one else can either. Thanks to this week's sponsor, Sure Payroll. They make it easy and affordable to manage your small business payroll online so that you can focus on your business instead of worrying about late fees and fines. Or maybe you started a business because you actually love managing payroll and taxes. I doubt it. Sure Payroll is simple and can be used on any device with just three easy steps. They will automatically file and pay your federal, state, and local taxes, too. Just go to surepayroll.com slash fool and fill out a free quote form. That's surepayroll.com slash fool. Sunday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend comes, my cycle hums. So this week we are tackling how to be happier in 2017, and uh, I did a lot of research on this. And I, I imagine there's a lot out there. Oh my gosh, there's so much research out there. Part of it must be like, what's the definition of happy to oh, a certain degree? There are equations. There are literal equations really? to what makes someone happy. Yes. <laughs> I also had to weed through studies like why Swiss chard makes you happier, and uh, it was rough. It was rough going, but. There are three studies that I think are pretty fundamental, and then all of the other millions of studies roll up into, so those are the ones we're going to focus on today. Excellent. All right, wonderful. First off, when it comes to happiness, it turns out you should just blame your parents. Because <laughs> the University of Minnesota has found out that your genes, and not Swiss chard consumption, is responsible for about 48% of your happiness. It's just kind of in your DNA, whether you're a naturally happy person or not. Well, as I've mentioned before, my wife is a mental health counselor and has a lot of books lying around that I've read plenty of. And I do know that many many health issues are inherited, so I, that makes sense to me to a certain degree, for sure. Yeah. All right. So, we know that 48% of our happiness comes from our DNA and our ability to be resilient or generally optimistic. So, where does the other half come from? Well, we're a money podcast, so of course the answer is money. Of course. The more you have, the happier you'll be. Right, Allison? Yes. Well, this, I feel like a lot of these studies are ones that you have spouted at me in the last... <laughs> well, not that, that sounds mean. That you have... Lovingly handed, <laughs> delivered? <laughs> yes, to me. Uh, so, according to Nobel Prize scholar, Daniel... Kahneman. Yes, it turns out that once you're middle class, more money really doesn't make you that much happier. So, all right, let's rule out money. Right. And I think the number, if I remember correctly, it was a 2010 study, it was around $75,000 a year. So, 
depends, of course, where you live and adjust for inflation, but that's generally speaking the figure that they threw out. Yeah. All right. So, after my many days of research into this, here are the three studies that I think point to three keys to being happy. All right. Are you ready? Happiness ready. key number one. And this is, a, this is one I got from the You Already Knew This One file, and that's to exercise, sleep, and eat better. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Yeah, you're I welcome. I think I've heard that one before. There is a ridiculous amount of research out there that shows that exercise, getting enough sleep, and eating better will make you happier. But here are some of the ones that I thought were the most interesting. All right. First, sleep. I feel like I shouldn't even have to tell tell people why it's important to get more sleep, but here we go. There's well, you do of because we know there are plenty of studies that show that people aren't getting enough sleep. That's true. So, according to a Stanford study of nearly 19,000 people who had sleep apnea, which is where you wake up continually um, during the middle of the night, they are five times more likely to suffer from clinical depression. And researchers oh. think that's because their sleep is disrupted all over and over and over at night alters their brain activity and the neurochemicals that affect your mood and your ability to think straight. Mm. And so, of course, sleep deprivation can be a vicious cycle, such as if you're an insomniac, maybe you can't sleep because you're anxious and you're stressed and you've got things on your mind, then you can't sleep, which makes you even more anxious and more stressed, and then it's just this vicious cycle. Right, you become less productive and you can't get everything done and do the things that are probably causing you stress to begin with. Downward spiral. Right. All right, that was just one study about sleep. There's, again, millions more. All right, exercise. Makes you happier because it leads to an increase in the production of antibodies, which are the seek part of your body's seek and destroy mechanism to get bacteria and viruses and sicknesses. Exercise also creates endorphins, and those are the chemicals that make you happy, like drugs, like opiates. I'm in the middle of a book that also argues that exercise increases your cognitive functioning, so you'll be smarter if you exercise. Yeah. And the thing about exercise is, whereas not getting enough sleep is a vicious cycle, Getting exercise becomes a virtuous one because the healthier you are, you more like you're going to be happier, and the more likely you're going to want to exercise, and it just keeps on paying dividends. Excellent. Wonderful. Eating better, and again, Swiss chard. A study out of the University <laughs> of Queensland found that if you go from eating no fruits and vegetables to eating eight servings a day, it's the happiness equivalent of going from unemployed to employed. Wow. I, I guess mean, I guess that's good, right? Yeah, it depends the, on where the, your job is. Well, that's true. <laughs> um, and I'm also reminded of a, my mom was a hospice and a home health nurse, and um, she had this story where she was talking to this woman who was in hospice or home health, and saying, "Oh, you know, isn't it so wonderful that you're surrounded by your friends and family? That's the most important thing in life, isn't it?" And here's this old woman in bed, and she's like, "No, your health is the most important thing. Because <laughs> if you don't have your health, you don't have anything." That's true. That's true. How can you enjoy your friends when you're not healthy? All right, so. To happiness number one, and again, you already know this exercise, sleep, and eat better. All right, key number two to being happier in 2017 is to maintain close, intimate relationships. Well, goodness gracious! <laughs> All right, now you know this one because you are familiar with the Harvard Happiness Study. I am. It is the longest-running study of human development, apparently. Uh, it dates back to 1938, when they took a bunch of Harvard men, such as John F. Kennedy and uh, Washington Post editor Ben Bradley, and they tracked every aspect of their lives. Then, in 1940, they actually started tracking the lives of inner-city Boston kids growing up in tenements. And uh, the study was taken over by a Harvard psychologist, Robert Waldinger, who he did a, a TED talk that you can actually watch online if you want to get more of the gist of um, the research. But he said that there's one clear takeaway that the happiest and healthiest participants in both groups, meaning both the Harvard men and the men from Boston, uh, were the ones who maintained close, intimate relationships. 
if you look at studies of people who are happy in retirement, it's the same thing. The yeah. people who are among the happiest, number one, they have good health, and number two, they have maintained social networks. Yeah, so the people they found who were lonely were less happy, they had earlier health declines, and their brain function declined earlier, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, uh, he said that, uh, again, the guy who's in charge of the study said that people tend to think that commercial well-being, meaning wealth, fame, career success, that that's what matters the most, but it's really about your health. That's what really makes you happy and maintaining connections with other human beings. Aww. Oh, that's nice. Shmoopy. <laughs> All right, key number three is having a sense of control in your life. Makes sense to me. Okay, good, then let's just move on. (laughs) We're done. Get control, everybody. Okay, so according to the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, money, good looks, and popularity, those are nice, but autonomy and the feeling that your life, its activities, and habits are self-chosen and self-endorsed is the number one factor to happiness. Wow. Feeling like you have control over your life purpose that what you do matters is the number one thing. I believe this was one of the main points of a recent Dan Pink book in which he talked about what motivates people and found that giving employees more money isn't necessarily a great motivator. Giving them autonomy and control over their jobs was much more motivating. Yeah. So here's a crazy study if you believe people are similar to mice. Uh, Some scientists decided to give mice uh, an option of getting cheese or getting shocked. Except for that if they got the cheese, they also got shocked. So no matter what the mice did, (laughs) they got shocked. And eventually, the mice just became listless and they like slipped into depression. They didn't do anything. (laughs) I think I would too. Right? So the state, they said in the study, the state of being helpless is regarded as a central aspect of depression. So here are these, they're like, no matter what I do, I'm gonna get shocked. So you know what, I'm just gonna sit here and not do anything. That's so sad. It's horrible. So I'm reminded of a of a, a time here at the Fool. Like here at the Fool, they're really big on having mentors and coaches. And one of my coaches, I won't say her name, but she was listening to me complain about my job for whatever reason. And there are very few days where I complain about my job, but they do exist. And she just kept saying over and over, "Well, you have options." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, whatever." What? But she kept saying it like a mantra. You have options. You have options. Um. And basically, she was trying to tell me that I, I, I do have control over how miserable I am, and you don't have to suffer in this job if you don't want to. And I thought she was kind of telling me to like, you know, you could go get another job yeah, if you go want. get go get another job if you don't like working here. But actually, she meant it in the tone of. You can go get another job, like in a very optimistic way, because like a couple weeks later, she put in her notice. I was going to say, I know who this fool is, and she no longer works I here. I know. So she, I felt she was saying it to me, like you know, fine, and get you, you know, love, love the fool or get. But she was basically being like, no, if you don't love the fool, you go, go ahead and get. You're not trapped here, and that's exactly what she did. So I hope she's happier. Yeah, career advice from someone who is like abandoning ship. Great. But that is true. You could feeling stuck is a lousy feeling, and you I could see how are you recognizing like yeah you're not necessarily stuck. There are things you can do, and yeah. and, and there may be options that don't involve you leaving a company. Yeah, that's true. Um, but anyway, the idea is of course that you're miserable when you're surrounded by chaos and when you're feeling like nothing you do matters. Um, and if you don't have control, then you don't feel like you have purpose and you don't feel like you're making progress, and uh, that makes you miserable. So. Scientists say that it's all about increasing your internal locus of control, Mm -hmm. which sounds very important. Uh, And you can start that 
But you can start doing that by making small, deliberate decisions in your life. So for some people, this means saying no more, no to things. Uh, this might mean having tough conversations rather than rolling with it. Uh, finally, just saying you've had enough and quitting, quitting on the people on, and on the people that you mentor. <laughs> Rick, you can't. No, get back here, Rick. Jeez. Um, and then also they suggested just setting small goals and tackling them. So, to recap, what are the three keys to happiness? Being healthy, maintaining strong relationships, and taking control of your life and knowing that you have options. But bro, how could you do that in your day-to-day life? That's a really good question, Allison. Would you please answer it for me? I would love to. Oh, thank goodness. All right, so... Here are three things that you can do in 2017 that should tackle each one of those keys to happiness. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. All right. First first one is to start a journal. Really? Yes. Why okay. do you sound so skeptical? Uh, no, uh, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. All right. So, the idea is, and this is not like... Even Oprah has a gratitude journal, so this is not just me. Oh yeah, this yeah. is okay. Oprah telling you. I see you. where you're going. What do you mean? No, I see. I I am okay. agreeing with what you, I think you're about to say. Oh, okay. All right. You believe Oprah, but you don't believe me. That's <laughs> so the idea is that you start a journal so that every day you are focusing on key aspects of feeling gratitude, meditating on the positive things in life, and then also tracking your successes in life. So I talked to a. Uh, a couple different people about how they do their daily journal. One of which was Naima. You might remember her from last week's episode. She talked about the Digits app. So I was talking to Naima about how she does it, and she actually bought like a little physical journal. And every night before she goes to bed, she answers four questions. The first question she asks is, what am I thankful for today? And we've talked a lot on the show about the importance of gratitude right. and how showing gratitude just naturally makes you happier and right. connects you more with people. Even Ron Lieber of the New York Times mentioned it as he's waiting for the subway. He just sits there and thinks about things he's grateful yeah, for. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, first question, what am I thankful for? Second question, what made you happy? So, this helps you focus on the positive aspects of your life and what has brought you joy. So, third question, what did I accomplish today? And this is one that Sheryl Sandberg, you know, the author of Lean In, and she's like Facebook employee number four, I don't know. Um, after her husband died, you remember her husband yeah, had a heart attack? It was so, so sad. sad. So she did this every day. She would write down something that she accomplished. And she said some days she was so, you know, she was so just bereft. Some days the thing she wrote down that she accomplished was making a cup of tea. Like some days that was as good as it got, but at least she was able to write down that she accomplished something every day. So this helps tackle the issue of feeling like you are you don't have control. This helps you show to yourself that you are making progress and achieving things. And then the last question that Naima asks herself is what did you learn today? And she just does a couple a couple sentences for each question, you know, closes the book and goes to bed. Um, another option for journaling came from Richard Wiseman, which came via Rick Engdahl. Did you actually do his journal? No, but I read his book. Okay. So his book, he's the author of 59 Seconds Think a Little Change a Lot. And he suggests that every day of the week you journal, but you have a different topic. And oh, that is key. You need to do it every day. Scientists actually looked at it, and they found that doing it once a week isn't enough. You need to do it every day. So Richard Wiseman suggests that Monday is Thanksgiving Day, where you list three things that week you enjoyed. Tuesday is terrific, and you describe a really great experience from your life. Wednesday is future fantastic. You write about your life in the future. Imagine becoming the person you want to be. Thursday is Dear, where you write a short letter to someone in your life describing how much they mean to you and why. Dear Allison. Yeah, you can go ahead and write that one. 
Friday is reviewing the situation day, where you think back about the week and you make note of three things that went really well and a sentence about why you think it went well. So that's a couple options, um, and I'm sure there are a million others. Like I said, Naima does an actual physical journal and she writes it, but um, some people just like store it in the cloud. They'll do it on their notes in their phone or um, Evernote or something like that. So anyway, along the lines of recognizing what you got done in one of the articles I read for my financial therapy class. The financial therapist does ask people on a scale of one to ten, how did you do in accomplishing this or track your spending or something like that? And even if they say, I only did a three, focus on why, well, that's good. You didn't give yourself a one. Yeah. What did you what did you do that that warranted a three? Well, I did this. Like focusing on the things that you did, are you're gonna increase the chances of success and just the person feeling more hopeful about accomplishing what they want to accomplish. Cool. All right. Next happiness action item is Learning a new skill. Oh, oh were you surprised by that? So, ideally, you're going to hit the trifecta here. If you're learning a new school skill that helps you meet new people uh, and is something that's healthy, and it's also something that you want to do and you can exert control over. So, a 2009 study from the Journal of Happiness Studies, published in the Journal of Happiness Studies. See how much research is? There's a whole journal of just happiness studies. <laughs> All right. Participants who spent time with activities that increased their competency and met their need for autonomy increased their happiness on an hourly and a daily basis. So they said it's key to choose a new skill to master to challenge you, um, an opportunity to take you out of your comfort zone. And you want ideally to choose something that you really want to do rather than one that you ought to do. So we've talked a lot about how spending money on experiences is better than spending money on things. So there's a happiness bump right there. So like taking lessons or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a good so idea. So also, if you can get a friend or family member to do it with you, you're working on your relationships. Yeah, good. And then bonus points if it's an active thing and you're getting exercise or learning how to be healthier. So for example, Diana and I keep talking about how we're going to take tap dancing lessons together. <laughs> And why are you guys laughing that I, I, hard? I am going to join you. Would you really? Well, especially after the, the very tragic passing of Debbie Reynolds watching clips from right. uh, Singing in the Rain and watching like the, you know, Moses supposes and um, the, the great routines. Yeah. Like, oh man, I want to learn how to do that. Oh, you could do it with Diana and me. We All keep right. meaning to, to get into it. So that's that's <laughs> one of my goals is to learn Learn a new thing, learn I'm a new there skill. there for the performance. Yeah. <laughs> see, My wait, video camera. We're going to be good. Good morning. So, see, so, I already tap dance. I'm good. Do you really? No. <laughs> so that's my, my new skill that I'm going to learn this year is uh, tap dancing with Diana. That's awesome. I love that. Do you love that? Oh, okay, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Here's the third action item for a happier 2017, and that's to be deliberate with your relationships and turn them into goals. All right, here's what I'm talking about. All right. So we already talked about, so spending money on experiences makes you happier than spending money on stuff. Connecting with people makes you happier and healthier. And then we're gonna work in the goal aspect to tackle that sense of control. So, what am I talking about? I'm talking about things like making it a goal to get coffee with a new coworker every week. Oh. So I'm actually doing that this year. There's this app on Slack, and every week it's, it connects me with another person. It says, you two have been matched to go get coffee. So this morning, I went and got coffee with Naima and Jeff Haslow. 
That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I then, like that. okay, another idea is to make a date to catch up with an old buddy on the phone at least once a week. Because I feel like I feel so bad calling my friends out of the blue and being like, hey, let's talk for 30 minutes. But if you can make it a date and say, I'm going to do it at least once a month or once a week, then you feel like you're accomplishing something and you're connecting with an old friend. Like it. You know, ready for my final idea? I there am. are others. Um, this is one that I got from the Robletos, from okay. Greg Robletto. They started a game, a board game night where once a month, they um, eight of their friends are welcome to come over and eat dinner and play board games. And so they basically sent this invite out to 40 of their friends and said, open house, here are the slots. They made like a Google Doc, and they're like, here are the slots. Greg Rebetta works at the Motley Fool, by the way. Yeah, sign up for a slot. He also listens to the podcast. Hey, Greg. Hi, Greg. Uh, And... And so it's there. It's on the calendar. So once a month they do it, and they can have a rotation of friends coming in and connecting. And it's what's important is to get these things on the calendar and right. make it a goal, so that at the end of the year you can say, "I reconnected with 24 people, old friends," or "I met 12 new coworkers that I never knew and had this great connection with." I love that. Those are great ideas. All right. So that's it. Three things you can do to scientifically be happier in 2017. Start a journal, learn a new skill, and turn friend making and relationship building into a goal on your calendar. I also have some final thoughts and words of wisdom from Jeff Haslow. We he actually talked we actually talked about this over coffee. So Jeff's advice to me cuz he he's like I am a student of the science of happiness and his advice to me is is something that he says to himself a mantra of his own and it's that everything breaks eventually. And so his idea is that you should be thankful for the ha- the time that you have with a person or a thing or a skill. Um, you should take care of your body because that's going to break one day. Um, you should take care of your relationships because we, as we learned in 2016, even David Bowie and Prince are mortal. <laughs> so if they are, you certainly are. But the idea is that eventually everything breaks, everything falls apart. So learn to love it and appreciate the time that you have with it. Okay, so yes, while that is a little bit depressing to think about, and this is the happiness episode, the point is that uh, you need to accept that, yes, not everything lasts, and that's okay, and to be happy with what you have, and show gratitude, and love each other, and build those relationships while you can, because it's all, you know, it's not, I don't know, I find, I don't find that down, like, I find that somewhat uplifting. I don't know why you guys think this is the most depressing thing, but I do. Good for you. Whatever makes you happy, Allison, that's important. <laughs> We're all going to die one day. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. Dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind. Everything is dust in the wind. All right, it's time for There's an app for that. Yay! And joining us today is Mona Shah. She's the Director of Operations for Motley Fool Wealth Management. A sister company of the Motley Fool. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today, Mona. Hi, thank you. You agreed to be yet another guinea pig to try out some apps that promise to, this week, make you happier. So let's start with, you looked at three different apps. The first two had to do with meditation and de-stressing, and that was Stop, Think, Breathe, and Headspace. Yes. What do they promise? So both of them are trying to get you to meditate for a few minutes each day. Uh, I tried Headspace first, and it had a very lovely British man speaking. 
it was enjoyable, but in order to get going, uh, at least on the free version, you do 10 minutes a day for 10 days, which I felt like was a little more intensive of an intro than I wanted. And so, you know, certainly after that, you can go through and, and pay their monthly fee for a more guided thing if you want to do one related to running or some other category. So is the British guy saying things like, imagine your toes, <laughs> breathe, now breathe in and breathe like that or... It's a little With, more like, of an appealing British accent. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, but uh, it is it is very much a scan your body, you know, if your mind drifts away, bring it back to the feeling, that sort of thing. Uh, and so I, I switched over to Stop, Think, and Breathe to check that out. That one I felt like had a lot more options to get going in the free version where you could just you know, do a two minute or a five minute. It could be related to falling asleep. It could be related to chilling out, any number of things. And I felt like that was a little bit more my pace. I could choose to do it on the train for a couple of minutes. I could choose to do it before I went to bed for four minutes. And and that felt really comfortable to me. And it, did you it, did you notice that you actually did feel less stress and happier as a result? I definitely did. Uh, again, it's, you know, some of it's breathing, some of it's focusing your thoughts. None of it is emptying your mind. I would never be able to do that. <laughs> and so I thought this was a really helpful one because it is sort of topic specific and it asks you to think about certain things. Oh, okay. I thought that was a really helpful way to de-stress from a certain situation that might have been in my head. Yeah, I have a hard time getting into meditation. People here at The Fool are really into it and I just have a hard time just sitting there and not accomplishing anything. My problem is I always fall asleep. Do you really? Uh, all the time. I have meditation apps that I've tried and I always fall asleep, which could be a good thing, <laughs> I guess, unless I'm driving or anything like that. All right. And then the third app you tried is Moodkit. Yes. Uh, so Moodkit is a, a $5 app up front, but it is, uh, so it says it's going to improve your mood. It gets touted as one of the best mental health apps, which I think gives it a connotation that you have to have mental health issues to mm. use it. And that's not the case at all. It has a few different things that it does. So it works really well for people who like the concept of doing a journal or a diary, but do not want to sit down at the end of the day and think about what to write. It has a thought tracker where you jot down a situation that upset you, and then it takes you through guided questions to make you think about the situation more constructively, uh, including you know what biases you might have within the situation and how you can turn it around and make it a more positive experience. And I thought that was really helpful because people tend to stew about certain scenarios in their life and you really want to pull yourself out of that. And this is an easy way to do that. The other thing that it allows for is it has a questionnaire where you rate yourself on how productive you're being, uh, how positive you are, how social you are. And then it gives you very specific suggestions to create a checklist of things you should do. And it could just be things like smile more. It could be set a time limit for your task. It could be, instead of doing a chore, do something that you wouldn't normally allow yourself to do, like read a book. And I thought those were all very constructive, active solutions to problems people might have. It sounds like having a little virtual friend who's like, I'll listen to your problems and I'll ask you thoughtful <laughs> questions and then I'll be like, go treat yourself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and for $5, it's cheaper than drinks, right? There you go. <laughs> 
That's true. Awesome. So uh, you would recommend Mod, uh, Mood Kit, and then if someone's looking for a meditation app, go with you said Headspace over Stop Think Breathe. Or no, wait, it was the other way around. Stop Think and Breathe was my personal preference, okay. but Headspace certainly. You know, I think for people who are a little more who want to be more involved in it, I think that's a great app as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Mona, for joining us and being our guinea pig. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Hopefully, you're happier as a result of doing this. So, <laughs> of course. So you're welcome. Shiny. That's my best advice for being happier in 2017. Of course, we'd love to hear from our listeners if you have any advice or recommendations for things that you've done to uh, be happier. And I'll say, you know what? You don't have to be happy all the time. Like, it's okay to be sad now and then. (laughs) I'm a generally happy person. You are. So, but I'll acknowledge it's okay to feel sadness. (laughs) Key, Key number four to being happy. Be sad sometimes. It's okay. All right, well, that's the show. Next week, we are going to tackle how to be healthier in 2017. So come on back. Uh, the show is edited happily by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish.